The Spin-Off Podcast Network. You're listening to Business is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business is Boring is brought to you by SparkLab, offering inspiration and practical advice to help businesses find their edge. To hear more about SparkLab, including details about the latest events, workshops, and business tools, visit sparklab.co.nz. And now, here's your host, Simon Pound. You're listening to Business Is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business Is Boring is made by The Spin-Off with help from Callaghan Innovation, New Zealand's innovation agency. Here's your host, Simon Pound. Influencer marketing is a huge change in media and one we might just be getting to understand how big the change is. The growth in social media has done some really interesting things, like open up new paths for creative people and those with a following or a profile to go direct to their fans. In turn, that direct relationship has meant brands go directly to individual content creators that are a bit like their own channel, editorial and creative production agency in one. We kind of take it for granted, and I think there is quite a bit of underestimation that goes on for the stars of the medium, who are savvy, shrewd, innovative, and a total force. It's a big wave, and one that a local business picked early. The Social Club was an early influencer agency, founded in 2015 and quickly growing to 14 staff and to become the largest influencer marketing agency in the country. It connects influencers or content creators and brands using its own technology platform. It was co-founded by Georgia McGillivray, who'd worked in advertising at some of the great networks around the world and saw where digital was heading. As CEO, she took the company through the Icehouse Flux program and attracted Series A capital from Sir Stephen Tyndall, among other heavyweights. Today, they connect more than 5,000 influencers, big and small, with brands helping people build their own profile on much their own terms. To talk the journey, what makes for a good campaign, and where the space is heading, Georgia McGillivray joins us now. G'day, thanks for being along. Thanks for having me. Hey, so tell me about your journey to starting The Social Club. How was it that you came to be in the kind of advertising and brand space? So I started off by studying um, advertising and marketing. And my first real experience in, in the ad land was in the States where I interned at an advertising agency in California while I was at college over there. Um, and I was really lucky that I, while working in the US and then the UK and then Australia, It was during the time that influencer marketing went from being sort of a buzzword to being a significant portion of every campaign. So I was really lucky to be able to be in that position and to see the rise of influencer marketing in each territory. And in markets with like um, big established kind of celebrities and uh, networks of fans behind them and stuff. So I imagine the scale of that meant it could take faster. Absolutely, yes. So very quickly it became a significant portion of every campaign. All of the processes were put in place um, and now it's almost like more of a mainstream media over there. Yeah, ab- absolutely. How, how, tell me about getting into the intern situation. Um, as uh, 
American interning in creative agencies, you know, it's it often is um, the subject of kind of articles saying it's kind of a modern form of kind of indentured labour or, <laughs> or, or, or free labour. And it's wildly competitive, isn't it? It's very competitive, yes. And that was one thing that I wasn't expecting when I was over there. Um, I actually think it's one of the most important things at, that you can do at university. And it was the thing that helped set me up so well because I was able to intern at a few different companies and really work out what I enjoyed and what I didn't and get some real world experience, which sort of put me kind of above a few other people when I was applying for roles when I went for my first real role. And those real roles um, working around the world, mm-hmm. t- t- tell me about kind of, um, you know, how far ahead was it uh, in, in the UK or in Australia um, in what, what's this, 2013, 2014 kind of time? Yes, yeah, so they're definitely ahead of us. So New Zealand is still sort of playing catch up. I'd say the States is the most mature market, maybe four or five years ahead of us. Um, Europe following closely behind them and then Australia maybe a year or so ahead of us as well. And is that still true, like still yes, true today? absolutely, yes. The influencer marketing um, industry in New Zealand is still relatively new uh, to a lot of people and it's growing really quickly. We're, pa- we're playing catch up a lot, um, but the markets overseas is still more mature than we are here. Does that make it, um, is that helpful when building a business, being able to go and kind of like pick best practice from uh, people who are further along the journey? Or, or does it make it harder because you kind of expect things to be away and it's not? Look, it it is challenging. Um, There's a huge education piece that we have to undertake. So whenever we go in to sort of pitch influencer marketing as part of a campaign, we first of all have to educate on what influencer marketing is, how you measure the results, what the process is, and the process is quite different to running a traditional campaign. So there's a lot of groundwork that we've had to do do it within the New Zealand market over the last few years. Should we do that groundwork too? So, you know, like, (laughs) let's do that. Um, The general kind of pitch you have to do when you go in perhaps to a marketing manager who isn't that um, up to date with it but has heard they should do it. So what is influencer marketing? (laughs) Well, so influencer marketing is the process of connecting somebody with a large following on social media, so Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat. So connecting them to a brand to influence their following about a product or a service. And how do you measure the return? (laughs) Great question. Um, So it depends on the KPIs of the campaign. So if it's sort of a brand awareness campaign, so a product launch, an event, those sorts of things, we measure it through impressions, reach, engagement, so very similar to other forms of advertising. If it's a direct response campaign, which we're doing more and more at the moment, so it could be for sales, um, e-commerce sales, app downloads, data collection, then we can actually attribute the ROI to those campaigns. So um, you know, we can measure the amount of app downloads, we can give a discount code to see how many people are actually purchasing, we can measure clicks through to the website, um, and there is a lot of sophisticated technology out there that it can actually track sort of 90-day periods and whether they come back to purchase within that time frame or not as well. And in terms of kind of crafting the campaigns as well, I guess the other big question uh, that people have when they, they look to do influencer marketing is kind of like, well, how does it work if they all just, you know, are getting paid to say that they like things? How do people trust it or, or what matters? And yeah, how do you how do you talk people through that process? Or, or like, is that a real problem? It is, absolutely. Uh, so authenticity is one of our key values at the social club. Uh, we're very much focused on making sure that every partnership that we tee up is authentic, that the influencer genuinely believes in the product, that their audience matches the target audience of the brand, um, that they're not working with any competitors, that they're not promoting too much product. Um, so, for example, if 
um, say a rugby player that wears his Ray-Bans every day is down at his local coffee shop having a coffee. It would be super authentic for him to either promote the coffee or the Ray-Bans. Um, however, if you saw a vegan go out and promote McDonald's, they're probably going to get called out by that. The campaign will not go well. And an interesting thing you mentioned there was like the definition of influencer marketing has been someone with a significant following. But um, one of the really big changes, and I imagine it's one that has increased the numbers of people that you're able to work with as well, is kind of the rise of the micro-influencer mm. or the, you know, the people with the smaller following. Tell me about that. Yeah, so micro-influencers are awesome. They get really strong results. They have super high engagement. So for a micro-influencer, we're looking at closer to a 5 to 10% engagement rate versus a macro-influencer or a celebrity who might have 1 to 2 what does a 10% engagement rate mean? So if you've got 100 <laughs> followers, 10 of them will comment or do something. Yes, exactly. So um, if you if you look at how many people are liking or commenting, sort of interacting with your content, um, and you divide that by how many followers you have, that's how you work out the engagement rate. So if the engagement rate's five times as much for a smaller person, you can have one-fifth the reach and, and have the same results in theory. Uh, depending on the KPIs, if you're looking for awareness, then that large, those large followings do work really well. Um, but what you could do is work with 10 micro-influencers who all have 10,000 followers compared to one macro-influencer with 100,000 followers, and you'll probably get really strong results. Um, the thing to be, bear in mind there is that it is a time-consuming process, so working with 10 micro-influencers will um, take up a lot of time, and that's sort of where the social club comes in. We can help you out with rolling those campaigns out start to finish. And the, the other question that people have uh, on those kind of campaigns when people only have um, a small number of followers is, you know, what are they getting paid and what does it cost and, you know, what are people doing? And I saw on your website there was a really interesting slider that kind of says if you've got... Mm a couple of thousand followers, you might be looking at 60 to $70 uh, per post you do. Uh, but if you have, you know, um, 500,000 followers, you're looking at a really significant amount of money. Um, how, how do the economics of that work? Because I, what does someone get for a $70 post? Like, do they get the influencer to come up with a concept, create the concept, post the concept on their social media, and then answer all the comments? Yes, so they get a lot of value out yeah. of that for working with micro-influencers. So like you said earlier, micro-influencers are, or influencers in general, are becoming sort of mini content creators or mini creative agencies themselves. So when an influencer is doing a post, they're getting the content first of all, they're getting the reach to their audience and they're getting the engagement with their audience, among, among other things as well. So um, working with micro-influencers who you might be paying a couple of hundred thousand followers, you're getting really good return for your money. Yeah, it's quite remarkable. Like if you look at the kind of like the big trend of it, this kind of unleashing of creativity, where if you wanted as a brand to make content, you had to go to an expensive agency and they had an expensive creative group and then create expensive media and the media were related to magazines and all the, you know, so complicated. And now individual creative people are able to work directly with brands. It's such a, it's such a big wave. One of our um, more common offerings at the moment is what we call influencer-generated content. So brands will actually come to us and they don't actually want the influencers to post on their feed. They're not looking for that reach. They're looking to repurpose the influencers' content in their social and display advertising. And they're getting sort of four to eight times the results that they were getting when they were using branded content. So it's a really affordable way to have content created. Brands these days just need so much content. Mm. So it's such an affordable way um, to get a different type of sort of 
engaging and authentic content. What's been driving this this uh, wave of change? Like, what was advertising um, just so um, widely targeted to so many people that it just necessarily just wasn't talking enough to people in their own um, little groups or interests? You know, what mm. what's driving this change of like small authentic stories versus um, the traditional kind of media approach? Well, I think that's definitely part of it. I would also say a big part of it is the change in consumption. So obviously going from watching a lot of TV, listening to a lot of radio, now we spend so much time on our phones, especially millennials spending all day on social media, um, and they have so much content available that they will drown out anything that's not relevant to them. So you do sort of need to be a whole lot more specific in who you're targeting, when you're targeting them, and how you're targeting them. What makes for a good campaign like that? Because I guess one of the fears that your your brand or marketing agencies might have is uh, wanting to maintain control and stay exactly to their very set brand values or or creative kind of messaging. But uh, I often see that it's said that the biggest determinant for success in an influencer campaign is giving control to the content creator. Yeah, so one of the things we try and educate our brands on is the difference in an influencer campaign compared to a traditional campaign. So it needs to go live in the moment or very close to, because if an influencer's uh, away for the weekend in Fiji and they take uh, their content over there and then they're back in New Zealand two weeks later, by the time it's gone to through their traditional legal approval process, it's not authentic for them to be posting a photo in Fiji anymore. Um, so yeah, it's really important that they are sort of staying true to the authenticity piece, making sure that stuff goes live in the moment um, and the control is given back to the influencer. They know what works with their audience. They know what will get the best engagement. They know what will get the best results. So it, it is kind of, it's an education piece still and they need to trial it before they sort of see the results and then they're happy to hand over the reins a little bit more. I wonder if the early days of like magazines or something had the same thing where people would be like, how can a magazine have 10 different brands? They had three different car brands in it that same month. <laughs> Surely the readers are going to know that it's nonsense. Like, it's, it's it's funny because a lot of the rules that we take is just totally normal for TV. Yeah. Uh, you know, you know, it doesn't matter what the ads are. It doesn't make a difference to what's happening on the project. Yeah. Uh, but suddenly if it's like an individual brand, um, it, it's held to these really different kind of standards. Yeah, I think there's probably quite a few new um medias that have popped up in the past and have gone through the exact same process that we're going through now of educating people um, and trying to gain trust out of those sort of relationships. And how do you, um, how did you go about like um, actually starting the company? So you came, came back uh, from working at these great agencies and, and saw there was a gap in the market. How did you go from that gap to starting? Yeah, great question. So my I, at the time, I was actually working in Melbourne um, at one of the big advertising agencies, and my co-founder, Justin, was back in New Zealand. And uh, he sort of had understood that the market was quite raw and immature in New Zealand. Um, and I'd been working in this big agency, hearing all of the pain points that the social team were going through. So we actually got together with a group of friends, and we were sort of like, how can we help improve um, this, this market in New Zealand? And... Um, yeah, we sort of went from there, took a leap. And to, to, to physically get going, like, did you go and approach, like, the biggest people who had the biggest um, uh, audiences and say, I'll tell you what, I'll connect you to brands and help make things more professional and easier? 
Or was it a chicken and egg thing? You needed the brands before the influencers were talking? Or? Um, yeah, so actually we did go to the influencers first. So we were quite lucky that I'd worked with um, hundreds of influencers in the past and had quite strong relationships with them. So what we did is we sort of reached out to them and we said, hey, look, this is what we're looking to do. Um, what's your feedback? Is it something you'd be interested in getting involved with? And very quickly we grew to about 250 influencers, which was the biggest network in New Zealand at the time. Um, and then we went to the brands. Right. Yeah. And how were those first conversations? Because even now, I mean, um, a lot of people listening will know a lot of what we've been talking about is very obvious. Mm -hmm. But even now, there's still a lot of people who that will be news to. Yes, um, absolutely. So the first conversations with the brands were actually really positive. I think we were quite selective in who we went out to and made sure we were sort of targeting innovative brands that we knew would be open to trialling new things. And they kind of had the first mover advantage because... Um, not many people were doing it in New Zealand or at least not many people were doing it well. So we had the opportunity to work closely with them and show them really good results first time. Um, so our first campaign that we ran was for Fuller's Fairies um, and that was pretty fun. Yeah, we, yeah. how were the first results? Like, um, Were there things that you, you as a team had to learn on the way as well? Yeah, we probably weren't expecting how... Um, how uneducated the New Zealand market was going to be. So overseas, when you reach out to an influencer, they sort of know what they're doing. They have their rates set. One of the big things that we weren't expecting is how much the rates would fluctuate. So um, because of that, we developed um, an algorithm within our internal technology platform that helps calculate the worth of an influencer, similar to the tool on our website that you were playing with. Um, and is that to help set the influencers' expectations yes, as absolutely. much as the markets? So, yeah, educating the influencers was as big of a piece as educating the brands um, in the early days. So, yeah, that was probably quite unexpected. Yeah, because I imagine, like, you know, if you spent half a day doing a photo shoot and then, you know, writing the caption and then posting it, you might feel like that's more than $70 right there. <laughs> yes, yeah. So um, teaching brands the worth of an influencer is another thing that we have to work with as well. Um, because there is a lot of work that goes into it. Apart from the actual post on the day of the campaign, they have to stay engaged with their um, following. They've done a lot of back work to build that following. Um, for some of them, it's a full-time role. So we have to actually place value on that um, and yeah, sort of educate brands on what that, what their worth is. With the 5,000-plus people that you're working with, how, you know, is there like one of those kind of 80-20 rules that you find in so many businesses where kind of 80% of the business comes through 20% of the biggest people? Or is it something where with the rise of micro-influencers, it's much more distributed now? Because I've, I've noticed of late that a lot more smaller, smaller people with, you know, one or 2,000 followers are putting, you know, hashtag collab on mm. the end of their kind of, you know, um, soda posts or whatever. I'm thinking, wow, that's that's quite interesting. Mm. So one of the things that we do pride ourselves in is that we do work with a big range of influencers. So we work with a lot of the macros quite often, especially when the goal of the campaign is brand awareness. We'll likely use a couple of big influencers and then we'll back it up with a whole lot of smaller micro influencers. Um, but we do get quite niche and tailored with our influencers. And because we're running so many campaigns every month, we need to make sure we're not using the same influencers and they're not all posting product all the time. Um, so we, we kind of try and go quite deep on the different influences that we're using. And is it kind of like a kind of mark of, um, I, I don't know, I wonder if it's becoming like a mark of legitimacy or of um, desirability, you know, like you've created a great kind of online persona. If brands do want to come with come and like do a collab with you, like you're one of the 
you know, one of the influences. Mm, yeah, we do actually, we see that with micro-influencers a lot and a lot, a lot of the micro-influencers, they're really enthusiastic, they love working with the brands, they'll go over and above, they'll produce additional content, um, they do such an amazing job and that's because they do, they love the idea of being an influencer, being able to work with a brand that they really love, um, so it's really, it's cool, it's fun to work with them. And so tell me about the growth of the company. When did you know when you, when did you know it was working and how quickly did you have to um go from you, you know knocking hard on the door because I imagine like um you, you know as a young team with like an untested medium with some very high variability like who knows if the influence is going to turn out <laughs> something you like or not because you don't see it before you commission it. I imagine that's quite a big leap for a lot of um big traditional companies to make. It is a big leap, yes. Um, and some of them are still nervous about doing it. Um, when did we know it was working? So quite early on, uh, we experienced growth. So when it got to the stage that we had to start making our first hires to um, help us execute the campaigns, uh, there was probably like a three-month period where we didn't actually have any time to sit back and be like, okay, this is working. But it was working. We were starting to get a whole lot of inquiries coming through us to us through referrals. Um, or and we had a whole lot of PR uh, about our company and the success of campaigns. So it was probably within the first few months that we knew we had something. Yeah, and, and for helping, like, the creators as well. Because it's mm-hmm. so cool that, like, um, you know, you look at some of these kind of parenting blogs or, like, really niche interest kind of um, food blogs or, or, you know, people talking about um, overcoming illness, you know, and for people to have been able to turn the following that they've built because they often, um, you know, spend a lot of time kind of emotionally supporting their audience or sharing to their audience and then be able to turn their kind of like niche specialties into careers is is such a cool kind of thing in the world. Mm, It is. It's it's very interesting to watch this sort of change in the way people are working and more project-based and influencers doing these sort of always-on campaigns and some of them will have longer-term ambassadorships. Um, It's sort of the way that the world's, moving a little bit so it's quite it's really cool to be involved in that shift as well and is it surprisingly affordable because um one of the things that like if you look at the reach that you can get out of um a bit of facebook advertising uh you know you, you don't have to spend a lot of money with relevant content to get in front of ten thousand people quite easily mm-hmm. and the um the subscription numbers of a magazine like um you know, some quite well-known magazines, they don't have 10,000 subscribers, you mm-hmm. know, like um, not wanting to name names or be be rough to them. But, you know, it's amazing how small subscription um, and, and circulation is of um, the, these titles. So, yeah, like what, 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 what kind of cost is it to get someone who everyone's heard of, like, you know, I don't know, a bachelor contestant or something? Um, yeah. You, you know, what, what does it cost to get someone like that engaged in, in front of their platforms? Um. So it definitely varies depending on which influencer you're looking to work with. Um, it could be anywhere from hundreds of dollars to thousands of dollars for some of the bigger All Blacks probably. Um, in terms of like an overall campaign spend, it's very affordable. So you can start with sort of a couple of thousand of dollars. Uh, we quite often get brands coming through with test campaigns like that and then they see the results and all of a sudden they're spending tens of thousands of dollars every month. Um, so people do scale their budgets really quickly when they see what they can generate through influencer marketing. Um, but at the social club, yeah, we sort of start with quite small minimum spends. And so how does that work? You you have a model where instead of um, 
brands talking directly to the influencers, you have account managers in the middle. Mm-hmm. Is, is that right? Yes. Yeah. So we have our expert campaign team. So essentially, they will roll out your campaign start to end. So they'll put together a strategy for you. Uh, They'll use our internal technology to be able to run campaigns more efficiently. And with a data-driven approach, um, we can pull accurate results, um, accurate accurate, uh, metrics, sorry, from um, the campaigns through to our platform. And they will liaise with the brand and the influencer throughout to make sure you're getting the best results for your campaign. What happens if it just doesn't... um Fire, like I don't know, the the, the influencers that have been selected pre- present work that is just far off or whatever. Do people still pay, or does it? Um, is it only kind of like once it's agreed to and out the door, or? So we have a very strict briefing process. So everything that goes in the brief to the influencer, they need to deliver on, and if they don't, we'll get them to redo the content until it does match the brief. So there's always a uh, approval process of the content before it goes live, so you get to see the, the content, make sure it matches with your brief. Majority of the influencers we've already worked with, so that we know whether or not they're going to be able to deliver the results that they need to for the campaign. Had you always wanted to be entrepreneurial? <laughs> yeah, great question. Um, so I grew up in an entrepreneurial household. My mum my and dad um, were both entrepreneurs our, our whole life. And so I was able to see sort of their passion for their business and their work ethic. Um, and I guess from that, yes, I always knew that I wanted to um, run my own business eventually. Um, I definitely did want to go and get some experience working for some bigger companies and learning how they worked and how the processes worked and getting some skills myself as well first. So, um, yeah, it might have been slightly earlier than I had imagined, but um, we were really lucky with our timing. Well, you make your own luck with that. (laughs) Um, And and then also kind of like um, taking that moment and then, um, yeah, yeah, turning the company into kind of like a technology company by by creating your own tech and also going into incubators. Tell me about that process. Mm, So... We knew that the influencer marketing industry had quite a few pain points. So the time that it takes to roll out a campaign, um, reporting on the campaign, uh, managing the influencers throughout, it's very time consuming. So we always knew that we would need to build a technology platform uh, to help sort of um, mitigate some of the um, some of the pain points. Um, and so from day dot, we were actually building our technology platform and when we decided that it was working and we wanted to go and raise some capital and we needed some extra support, we um, wanted to scale quickly, that's when we went into um, the Ice House and we spoke to them and they sort of pointed us in the right direction. We went through the Flux program, which was amazing. We met so many great mentors, advisors, um, support network uh, through that and then we came out the other end and did our Series A capital raise, so it was awesome. And how have things gone since then? Since then, it's been um, such a great journey. So um, the number of campaigns that we're running a month has doubled. Uh, our team has doubled in size. We moved into a new office. Um, so we've had a lot of growth, but with growth also comes pain points. So, you know, there's been a lot of learning along the way as well, uh, but it's been a great journey. And what's the kind of, um, is there kind of a, a blueprint on the wall, which is uh, one of the, you know, clear paths for agencies is, they take enough work off bigger international networked agencies and they get bought uh, kind of thing. And, you know, do, do you have a goal to kind of build your own large company or become part of a, a great network or um, what's, yeah. So at the moment our goal is to be the leaders in influencer marketing and we want to keep adding value um, to the, the industry here in New Zealand and growing our own business. 
um, from there we will probably determine what the best path is. Um, it could be a number of different directions, but right now we're just focused on building our own company. What advice do you give to entrepreneurs uh, or potential entrepreneurs who are interested in starting out? Um, the advice I would give is, is go for it. You know, you, you don't have much to lose. Um, make sure you have a really strong support network around you. Um, it will be a journey, so be prepared for, to ride the roller coaster. Um, and don't be afraid to reach out if you do need support. Um, there are a lot of really great entrepreneurs in New Zealand that are more than happy to give their time to help support young um, entrepreneurs. What do you wish you'd known earlier in the process? <laughs> um, great question. Um, I probably wish I had known um, the, that the faster you grow, the more challenges that there will be. You know, you always sort of associate success with being easy, but actually the faster you grow, the more stuff there is to do, uh, the more learning you need to do, especially as a young entrepreneur for me. So my role has changed so many times and I've had to upskill in so many different areas, which has been a great experience for me, but I probably wasn't aware of that going into it. Yeah, how do you go about actually um, doing that, upskilling <laughs> or filling in? Because, yeah, like you, you start with an idea and next thing you know, you're having to solve things that are, you know, super specialties. Yeah. Um, so I'm really lucky that I have a great support network around me. Um, so we have a great team of advisors, our board. So whenever there is a new sort of skill set that I need to develop, I'll go out and um, find the right person to help me develop that skill set. How do you define success? I think really success is happiness. If you're doing something that you truly love, it doesn't matter how much money you're making, how big your team is, how many campaigns a month you're running. Um, if you're happy, then you've done something successful. You've made, you're successful within yourself. And where do you think, um, where do you think this is going, I guess, as a, a last thought, um, having picked the wave quite early? And um, yeah, it, it seems to me to be a fundamental changing of like the mediated relationships between people and brands like mm. um and, and this massive kind of change in the nature of creativity like do, do you feel like it's like a, a, a you, you know where does it go from here yeah so it's interesting because the concept of influencer marketing has actually been around for a long time mm. so if you look back even to um the 1900s um the paintings in Versailles they were wearing pearls um so everybody went out and bought pearls you know or um the tv um, commercials where Britney Spears promoting Pepsi. Everyone's going out and buying Pepsi. Uh, the internet has allowed for this new wave of sort of small celebrities or what we call influencers or content creators to grow a large presence and to be thought leaders within their niche. Um, and right now they're doing that through Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat. Where I see the industry going is the same concept will be taken to a new platform. So whatever that popular platform is, VR, AI, whatever's next to come, there will be thought leaders within those industries um, and we just need to make sure that we're on top of those changes and um, ahead of the game, I guess. Awesome. Well, I can't wait to see what's next. And thank you very much for joining us. That's Georgia McGillivray, the CEO of The Social Club. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much, Alice Wibbledell, for producing and thank you for listening. You've been listening to Business is Boring, presented by Simon Pound. And brought to you by The Spin-Off and Callahan Innovation.
from the Spin-Off Podcast Network, that was Business is Boring, brought to you by SparkLab. Make sure you're following Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information on SparkLab, visit sparklab.co.nz. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.